Hey everybody, we at Podgave Rock and Roll Do You want to make it clear that we don't mean any offense by our comments, critiques, or opinions. We're not music critics, just buddies that use talking about music as an excuse to hang out. Also, our language is intended for adult ears. Enjoy! Cause I'm in the shit house Wish I played in a rock and roll band Somebody give me a dollar bill So I can pass out I, I read this week that Motley Crue and Def Leppard uh, just completed a tour where they made $173 million, which for, for both bands is the largest tour they've ever had, which is kind of crazy because at their peak, I mean, those bands were pretty freaking big in the 80s. So I wanted to ask, uh, since they're still around and, you know, quite the double bill there, who you got? <laughs> Between Motley Crue and Def Leppard. Well, I mean, you got to go Motley Crue, I think. I Like, Def Leppard might have some more hits. I feel like I'd lose street cred if I picked Def Leppard, though. It, but if, if you're a patriot, you better pick Motley Crue. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, do you have any thoughts on, on the Motley Crue v. Def Leppard? Who would you go with? Yeah, this is a hell of a way to start, Josh, because I have absolutely no opinion or concern for <laughs> either of those bands i mean i know a handful of songs i know that kind of from a critical standpoint motley crew is somewhat more respected i i actually don't know i would say because def leppard's in the rock and roll hall of fame i do not believe motley crew is Oh, so we're starting out by acknowledging that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is um, <laughs> a legitimate yeah, institution. <laughs> yes, it is the it is how we measure music, you know, uh, <laughs> from the past. <laughs> well, if you think about it, they were both big bands, but I, I would I would have to assume "Pour Some Sugar on Me" is the biggest hit of either of the bands, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, and I think I feel like you hear more about Def Leppard because of the one-armed drummer. Yeah, I I might say that I I probably enjoy Def Leppard's songs more, but I might want to see Motley Crue live more. Like, what what is there? Is there "Pour Some Sugar on Me," "Love Hurts," uh, "Photograph," "Photograph," which is <laughs> <laughs> basically Def Leppard had one huge album that was uh-huh. like the biggest, one of the biggest albums of the '80s, and Motley Crue just had you know, some songs that are a collection of songs and made a bunch of money. But um, let's just say that that's, there's no winner there. Uh, between <laughs> Except for them uh, for making all that money. Um, an, another piece of, of music news I wanted to point out, uh, because Jeff, I know you listen to this podcast sometimes, but we really like to, to pump up Green Day's epic two album, American Idiot, which celebrated its 18th anniversary this 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 week. So I want I just wanted to give the floor to Neil for a second since it's it's one of his favorite albums it's of not, all time, and uh, see if he has any <laughs> comment there. <laughs> well, it's not one of my favorite albums of all time, but I guess it's quickly becoming one because I'm known in the Podgave Rock universe <laughs> as the champion of American Idiot. Um, I don't know. It came out at the right time. I love Green Day. It's just it's a good listen. It's uh there's a couple like really long songs. There's one called Jesus of Suburbia that's like an eight minute 
We Epic. don't need to rehash the, the, you asked, the American bro. idiot you fucking track list, Neil. <laughs> I, let, let's give let's give our guests a little floor time. Jeff, have you listened? Here's the thing. Neil said at one point that he had listened to the entirety of American Idiot. And I was like, no, you fucking haven't. Because I was like, I don't know anybody who has. Have you listened to the entirety of American Idiot by Green Day? Not start to finish. I, I don't know if I've heard all the songs on the album, but I certainly don't have quite the level of vitriol that uh you do for i think there's a handful of at worst solid songs on that album and i've always had a soft spot for green day i i do too and i i, I wouldn't i i know it comes off as vitriol it's more disbelief <laughs> because when it came out I, my, in my head when that album came out it's like there's no fucking way i'm listening to a double album by green day like front to back so <laughs> Well, enough about Green Day, but uh, I, I would like to introduce our, our guest for this next three-week run. He is a former uh, roommate of mine, uh, which is his claim to fame. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he is uh, he is a good friend. We lived together in Aerosmith's old apartment in Boston. Uh. Uh, so we were rocking the town of Austin, Massachusetts, like uh, Steven Tyler and Joe Perry once. But Mr. Jeff Gross is here. Jeff, thank you for, for doing this. Uh, we're excited to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. You know, as I was saying when we were kicking up, long-time listener, first-time caller. So pr- <laughs> proud proud to be on the pod. Jeff from Ann Arbor, go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I got hot takes about the Yankees. <laughs> mm-hmm. Who doesn't? So, Jeff, we have a couple questions that we like to ask our new guests. So we're going we're gonna to get right into it. Uh, since you're going to be with us for three weeks, and this is a music commentary podcast, as some would say, why don't you tell us and the listeners what uh, your music tastes are? Give us some bands that you enjoy, always go back to, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a tier that sits uh, above Ooh, most like other it. bands, and that's kind of the Beatles... Bob Dylan, Grateful Dead, hopefully not leaving anybody out, also have been on and off a very big Fish fan. So okay. back in the day Fantastic. was, and I'm prepared to make a full-throated <laughs> defense of Fish whenever the time is appropriate. So, so this uh, is an own period, I would say? Oh, yeah, okay. actually, only really recently, really recently, I've, I've gotten way back into it. And then, and then I would say after that, I, I'm kind of all over the place. I Big Paul Simon guy. I also, um, more recently, I've really gotten into kind of like, Iron and Wine, and uh, ah. I've always loved the Avett Brothers, um, but I also have a place for Outkast and uh, Kendrick nice. Lamar, and I also don't mind, you know, like, diva vocalists. <laughs> like, oh, like, I okay. kind of love Mariah Carey and Adele, <laughs> and, like, so I'm really yeah. pretty all over the place, just, you know, basic white guy. I'm with you, but... Jeff, you left out what I always thought to be your favorite band. For the Kings? <laughs> well, no, that, that's just assumed for every guest that comes out here. All right, that's a prereq. Uh, but the flautist himself. Yeah, I mean, I was big, tall head. Seventh, eighth grade was probably the first band like that I brought into my household that I wasn't introduced yeah. to like by my dad, who's a big music fan, which... 
big uh, big Stevie guy, so that will come up again for sure. Nice. And yeah, it was my first concert. Went to see Ian Anderson stand on one leg and play his flute through, <laughs> you know, a bunch of different effects and life changing. <laughs> okay, well, talking about concerts, uh, the second question we like to ask our, our new guests is uh, give me like your top two or three favorite shows you've been to. I've actually only seen Jethro Tull 100 times. <laughs> 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 like uh, your co-host Neil was at the Big Cypress Fish Show in Florida, although I have an embarrassing story that relates to that, which uh, I'm not sure I want to share uh, broadly. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> well, the world famous—I'm going to share it. Here we go, baby. There um, we go. There we go. The go. historic midnight set, which is looms large in you know certainly Fishhead's history and maybe music history at large to some degree. I ingested something previous to that (laughs) set. Yeah, Yeah, and I uh, enjoyed the hell out of the first two hours and then slept (laughs) through the rest. (laughs) Woke up when when Velvet Seep was playing Uh. as the last song of the morning. (laughs) I remember that Velvet Seep. Man, I'm not going to beat that, but I guess my other big big shows that that... kind of always come back into my mind is I saw Radiohead at a pretty small venue like early 2000s and it was just you know like face melting energy thumping (laughs) like that Mm -hmm. I always remember that after Kid A Amnesiac yeah like like right there yeah like right in that time frame that's amazing I I didn't see them until after or right before In Rainbows Mm -hmm. Um, still had it ah Neil I'm missing out by I know Okay, it. well, last question. You kind of you, you touched on a couple, but if if you and I were to like back in college, hop in the Pathfinder, you know, like, <laughs> dude, you you got to check out this new CD or something you kind of discovered. It doesn't have to be new music. Something you've discovered yeah. in the last like year. What, what 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 would it be? Well, I mean, I have to make another admission that I spent 2020 listening to pretty much only the Hamilton soundtrack. So, (laughs) (laughs) me too, man. I mean, that's what happens when you have little girls in the house. Yeah, I mean, they went bonkers for it in quarantine. I'm not gonna lie; it was my favorite thing that I listened to that year as well. I I can't (laughs) can't front here, but I, I don't know. I would say the band that I got into most recently, and I'm not. Not really up on the newest stuff. I've, you know, tons of shit going on. Like, try to stay listening to music, but my Spotify algorithm is letting me down for sure. But I (laughs) I really got into Iron and Wine a few years ago. And I found, um, we saw them at a small venue in Ann Arbor, and my wife and I got in a huge fight uh, during the show, which wasn't made up for for a couple days. But um, (laughs) one of those. It it was just like this beautiful sound and uh, mm-hmm. they're really strong lyrically he's a really beautiful singing voice and they're one of the newer bands that I, I tend to return to nice. yeah I've seen them open for someone before and uh, it is it's a really nice I, w- I would describe it as it's yeah, nice it's very yeah. sweet and I'm sorry to hear about your fight you and your wife both <laughs> squandered a nice romantic evening <laughs> <laughs> oh, was, l- let me assure you, it was me who squandered the romantic <laughs> I was trying to keep it undemocratic there, but... But Jeff, you, you, you came back around, you guys are still together, um, you know, you, you fell in love, and it's, it's, it's looking like it's going to be forever, my friend. 
Uh, oh. At least, at least that's what I believe. Uh, oh, there, that really tied it all together. <laughs> oh, baby. <laughs> And on that note, uh, you are listening to Pod Gave Rock and Roll to you, and this week we are going to be talking about Stevie Wonder's I Believe When I Fall in Love, It Will Be Forever, from his 1972 album Talking Book, written by Stevie Wonder, and I've seen this as Syreta Wright and Yvonne Wright, so I'm going to say both, and produced by Stevie Wonder. Malcolm Cecil and Robert Margoleth and released on Tamla, a subsidiary of Motown. Mm. I believe when I fall in love with you, it will be forever. I believe when I fall I had this on uh, CD uh, back in the day and I was really proud of it. It was a real gem before <laughs> Spotify and Napster is like, oh man, this fucking talking book is so good. And this song stands out. I mean, it's just got such a great chorus. The The thing I like about it is it goes from kind of forgettable to unforgettable really fast. Like in the beginning, you're like, what is this? <laughs> and then it goes into like typical sweet Stevie and then boom, like the fucking chorus just direct hit smacks you in the yeah, face yeah. um uh, uh, c37 <laughs> you've sunk my battle and yeah. the chorus is so good i mean obviously he keep he probably sings it 30 times throughout this song but um <laughs> when i'm listening to it i'm just like keep it coming yeah sounds great <laughs> one thing that's cool about it is it's like five different stevie's singing at you there's so much going on like possibly singing five different songs all in the same key like there's so many stevies just like throughout this whole track it's a it's a stevie palooza yeah it's a stevie palooza and overall just it's pure optimistic like great anthem of new love i'm a real sucker for these sweet songs that are um just got good vibes simple catchy and powerful love it yeah you know i'm not really sure when i first encountered this song like i i don't think it this wasn't a radio hit right like it wasn't on the radio when we were growing up i don't think so i don't think so so i would i'm gonna have to assume it was high fidelity the movie because i watched that a decent amount with my with my high school girlfriend uh if i correctly if i'm remembering that correctly it's it's not as well known as other songs of him and you know i love the chorus like you said it really does just kind of hit but man feels like you're waiting a while which you're not but it feels like that I love the the funky little outro and and the transition like going from the song into that is fantastic. But diving in this this week like the rest of the song kind of bores me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. You know, the end really builds up. I, I like when that first chorus comes in and I like when the kind of the the final chorus the build when there's like you said there's the all the Stevie's actually into the outro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's I mean and that's enough because it is a good song, but I don't even know if this would be like a top 10 Stevie Wonder song for me. But like you said, chorus is undeniable, and anything with that groovy of an outro that kind of comes out of nowhere like that, I'm all about. So, Josh loves it. <laughs> <laughs> There's some ambivalence. Yeah, I, I would say this song is all chorus to me. Like, I, I feel like the writing of the song or the kind of creation of the song was something along the lines of Stevie comes up with, you know, yet another unbelievable (laughs) chorus and they kind of put something okay around it 
is is my opinion. Although I knew when I saw this song pick that it had to be something personal to you because I I think just kind of objectively looking at Talking Book, it I I I guess I would put it in my top five on Talking Book, but it wouldn't be <laughs> you know it it wouldn't be like my one two or three. Like I mean I I think Blame It on the Sun is like a a perfect song and yeah and also obviously you know superstition is on talking mm-hmm. book and <laughs> but this yeah. but maybe your the, baby yeah yeah but but you know the the chorus is good enough in fact great enough that it, yeah. it can hold a song together so i i certainly am not mad when i hear it it's a song i like <laughs> i like it a lot yeah, and I think it, it, it is personal just because I did find it so early. It caught my ear. It's funny, I can't separate this song from the album cover. I just remember having mm. that CD with him just like oddly sitting in the sand. <laughs> and <laughs> the sand? I thought he was like on a hillside. Well, in the desert somewhere. Sand dune. <laughs> I found it before High Fidelity, so the end of that movie, I was like, hell yeah, that is perfect for uh, mixes for ladies. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> Honestly, Neil, I, I, my speaking of Spotify algorithms, you would pick this, and then two days later, I get the release radar, and it was Father John Misty covering this song. Uh-huh. And I was like, did that motherfucker hear this cover, <laughs> and then pick this song because of that? I'm like, ooh, that's a that's an old one that I haven't heard in a while. Father um, John heard through the grapevine that Pod Gave Rock was doing it, so he thought he'd throw us a cover. <laughs> Shattered dreams. Worthless years Here As much as I feel like I don't know this song and I don't really remember hearing it that often, I know it. You know, like when I listened to it, I was like, oh yeah, it's this it's this one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those songs. Like it's not a song that I've ever searched out. I've never had it on a playlist. I've never used it, but I, I think it's I'm not sure how many movies or stuff it's been in, but I feel like I've heard it. Mm-hmm. Or I may have only heard it 10 times, and the, and the chorus is just that memorable. Yeah, I feel like it is one of his best choruses. There's many more songs that are... This is very unique, too. You know, it's like, it's it's all chorus, like you said, Jeff. But a lot of Stevie songs as a whole are much better, but I don't think there's many choruses, just straight, simple choruses he's singing right at you that I like better than the way he performs this. I think he agrees with that. I think I counted. There's like 30 <laughs> lines in the song. Yeah, yeah. And 10 of them are the chorus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and, I, and I vacillated this week between my favorite part of the song because, I mean, I, I, th- I think just the beginning of the song is is the worst part of the song because it drags a little bit. It's like I literally thought the first couple of listens, it was like two minutes before it hit the chorus. I was like, God, it takes so long. And then I was like, oh, it's an hour. I mean, it's a... <laughs> It's a minute and five <laughs> oh. seconds. But I was at first I was like, oh, this song is all about chorus. And then I was like, oh, it's all about that outro. And then I was like, no, it's all about the vocal procession that he mm-hmm. puts together, like this choral yeah. vocal arrangement that he puts together there when he's just repeating the chorus ad nauseum. But there's so many other interesting things going on towards the end of the song that make it a really a much better song than it should be, I feel. Yeah, well, I think the the chorus and just the simple, if you break it down to just the When I Believe I Fall in Love and the chords he's playing, that's the the anchor, the linchpin. Then he's doing like 20 other things around it. So it already has a brilliant linchpin. And then, like I said, it could, like, he's just kind of, 
flexing his production and just his creativity, just doing all the different stuff around that anchor of a great chorus. Let's just dive into the production real quick. The backstory on this is, you know, Stevie got together with these two guys, uh, one of which Robert Margoleff had worked with Bob Moog and bought a Moog in 68. Mm. And so then this guy, Malcolm Cecil, who was a British bass player, who was one of the original members of the jazz courtiers, courtiers in England, he came to him and said, hey, I want to learn how to use this thing. He's like, I'll teach you how to use a board. You teach me how to use this. And then they built this thing, Tonto, which is like the hmm. biggest synthesizer in the world. I don't know if it still is. And then they teamed up with Stevie. He was trying to get out of Motown. They did the four records in a row. Talking Book is the second in that. And, you know, if you listen to the rest of this record, part of me is like, they're not even doing as much here. Like, Stevie's the only person playing on this record. He does all the instruments. Wow. Um, which is insane. So it really bass, is. It, yeah, he's doing lead vocal, background vocal, piano, honer, clavinet, drums, and the Moog bass. And so, from what it sounds like, from what I've read, those guys built this synthesizer, but it, it kind of seems and sounds like Stevie is uh, arranging everything. Right? Do you- yeah, certainly. I, I forgot that he played everything on this whole album. Um, and it's weird. You can. I thought there was guitar in there, but I guess that's just a Moog or a synth setting he, only on this song is he, there's other musicians on other songs okay oh, okay. this song is just him okay yeah well it's all making sense like the moog bass um i don't know what that phaser guitar i thought was but um yeah it sounds like he had a a great chorus and a new toy <laughs> really went after it <laughs> Sounds that meet our ears, the sights our eyes will open up. Well, but, but from a production pr- perspective, and, and, and I guess melodically, we can kind of throw in as well. The song does something which I love for songs to do, where melodically, it you don't even really need to know the words to understand the emotions he's trying to convey throughout the song. And w- even though I, I found the beginning to drag, the way he's moving the melody, which is really just one and a minor four, hmm. and and there's a seventh, and to that chorus, which is just one four repeated. I mean, like the 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 chords are so simplistic, and it sounds like there's so much going on, but it's just kind of flowing and moving very cleanly and and really nicely. And then it, the build is so complex what he does vocally, and then to just go into this funky groovy like outro that that had to i'm assuming that was mostly him but the production i think when you look at it from stevie is for me has always been a package right mm-hmm. the, his vocal doesn't do that much for me i mean it, it's the whole thing yeah I, honestly listening to it a couple times or many times during the week i i think i under appreciated the production element but as soon as you said that i knew exactly what you were talking about the way the vocals are layered throughout the extra choruses is um really the whole feel of the song that's that's what you feel when you hear the song because it's almost like his the content you know he starts off like you know I do like the first couple lines. Shattered dreams, worthless yeah, years. Yeah, it's a good setup. He's, he's saving the good shit. But then, emotionally, it's almost like it's kind of somber. It's kind of, you know, a little dramatic. And then he's kind of like almost 
trying to force this thing into reality, like this relationship into reality yeah. via the production yeah. <laughs> and and this layering and just like and at the end there's like this confidence that did not exist in the beginning and I love when emotionally you can kind of go through a, a couple of levels yeah yeah I mean I like the, it seems like the beginning is very somber and then there's the part almost the pre-chorus where it almost like the feel like the sun has come up like and the way they hit there and real quick just back to what you said about the production um, I was thinking it is so smooth. It's like you're on a uh, ocean, kind of like just hitting waves. Because like, yeah, and even with the the silky bass, just kind of because you can tell it's not a string bass. It's just this like super smooth. <laughs> like it's really yeah. nice. Like musically, especially in the beginning, it sounds like there's so much going on, but there's not. It also sounds sparse at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's that's always impressive to me when I'm like, wait a second, how many notes is he playing right now? And it's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really feel like he's playing that many. No. Even though if you... Yeah, right? No, not at all. It's <laughs> just a, a sound vibe almost. <laughs> that one vocal rise where the... You're going to have to sing it for me, Josh, but the... Da-da-da-da. <laughs> Here I am, down. Like that, yeah, that second there's that, line where it just goes. There's yeah. that one rise there that really highlights the quality Stevie has as a singer. And it, it, I mean, of course, he's a very unique vocalist, not always perfectly accurate, but I think the artistry around the edges means there's not a necessity for him to be perfectly accurate when it comes to those notes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's so funny. I was listening. I was just like, man, I, you know what? I've never just listened to Stevie Wonder and been like, God, what a vocalist. Yeah. yeah hmm. it, it's clean and it's, and it's sweet. There, there's an innocence to his voice and like a sincerity that always just kind of hits you in the face. Um, but it's also undeniably him, you know? And, oh, yeah. And I don't know that that is necessarily always a great thing. You know, there's obviously examples through history of you can recognize somebody and it's overtly bad, but, (laughs) but this, it's welcoming. Yeah. This is when you hear him sing, there's no doubt from the very first moment at any stage in his career on any album, who it is. And I I don't think that's, the easiest thing to portray and it only comes through typically when there's real artistry happening when there's real yeah. creativity and real underlying creation if if that makes sense yeah i mean you can definitely as uh, our former co-host would always say you can definitely tell who he is mm-hmm. via his 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 voice and how he's putting it out there Let's just touch on the lyric for a second. It's fine. It's sweet. It, it It's effective. There's nothing that really stands out to me. I mean, it's a good hook. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I want to talk about the contradiction in the lyric, personally. <laughs> Let, let's yeah. go. Let's there's, hear it. We love contradictions. Well, there's this lyric at the beginning, you know, life began, then was done. And you're like, okay, so things start and end yeah. pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, he it's, moved on pretty quick. It's not Shakespeare. <laughs> but then 
like not long after that he says what has been must never end yeah and yeah it's, it's like you just <laughs> find like dictator just finding things that rhyme <laughs> dictator <laughs> <laughs> this is good baby this ain't never ending so are they yeah. are they always going on forever are they starting and ending like what, what's happening stevie in my mind this lyric is him imagining a love that lasts forever. Well, maybe something that that has never he's never been able to find or can't even picture or has a hard time picturing but wants to. Yeah, it's and trying like, to will this into existence. Yeah. <laughs> through a vocal cacophony and a funky outro. It's almost like he's so shattered that he is projecting into the future when he meets this new woman. That's going to be forever, that one. This one <laughs> got all fucked up, but next time I'm going to totally he, nail it. He's so optimistic and it shall those. never end. <laughs> I'm also interested oh, in the idea of I believe when I fall in love with you it will be forever and then one time in the chorus or is it a few times he says this time it will be forever that's well th- he does say this time <laughs> that, that's one of my vocal that's one of my favorite vocal tics yeah. is because he's still saying with you but he he overdubs um this time it will be forever <laughs> you know <laughs> that hits me every time i'm like move on then the lyric is not that let's just move on to i just want to talk about this outro for a little bit neil I, let's call I'm, it what it what it deserves to be called josh it's a funky breakdown <laughs> it's a funky yes. caboose this yeah. funky breakdown and jeff we like to talk about uh we've had a drug dealing seventh and a soliciting seventh on this pod and this is like when it goes to that break it's going from the one it's just make it's just going to a seven so oh. I can't tell if this is your ELO drug dealing seventh or your soliciting seventh. This is the love making seventh. Because uh, oh, I feel like that's, the, the, that's where the song's going. Like they're recording, had a nice date. Now let's fall in love. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is the I got paid. It's Friday. We're in the club seventh. <laughs> <laughs> The payday seventh. Yeah, the payday so this seventh. Is the, this is so basically to sum up what both of y'all. This is the good times seventh. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the early seventies seventh. But that, that's it's funny. I was listening to the album today, and you know, and if you listen to the four albums in general, there's more of this break in these albums than there is the prior. You know, three minutes, mm-hmm. right? So then it's just like okay, and because this is the album ending, you are the sunshine of my life, and. I believe kind of bookends mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. talking book, but it's 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 such a funky way to end and also to kind of bring you back to the vibe of most of that of the album. Well, as that's well. a good, yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, I don't think I would have chose this song if it didn't have that funky end because it needs a little something to take it across the finish line. You know? Oh, I definitely like in my head. I was like, if it didn't have like that's why I think I settled on that being the part that I like the most because if it didn't have it. I don't. I just don't think you have a song. I think you just have a great chorus. And yeah, and if if it just faded out on, I believe when I fall in love for the thirtieth time, it, it'd be kind of boring. But it's like one of those things we talk about. You know, you go to the unexpected. Not that a funky breakdown is unexpected from Stevie, but in this tune, it was. Come on, 
so a couple actually i mean this song really it didn't chart it, it's not on any lists you know it's it's it, i mean this is his 17th studio album which is just insane in night for 1972 for seven this is like it reminds me of neil I think we did the Dolly Parton song. We were like, yeah, this is her 12th, like 15th studio album. Mm -hmm. It's like 1970. It's like, what? But then you remember like back then he was on Motown. He's probably just releasing albums like with the same song on all of them Mm -hmm. over and over again. And there was no video. So it was hard to kind of, to really dig into the song that much Mm -hmm. outside of just giving it a listen. I, I will say we should just touch on... Before we move on to the fun part of this podcast, we should touch on the the Stevie Palooza just for a second. I don't think we paid enough attention to that. I don't know if that yes. kind of harmonizing had been done. It's just so many different things going on. And my favorite part of the song is one of those um, backup vocals, that part where he's going, I'm so glad that I found someone to believe. And dun, dun, dun. You know what I mean? Like where it's like yeah. to believe. It's like it's such a cool counter melody to. Yeah. Um, I mean, and the, the fact he keeps piling on like it's like something is introduced in every single course that he repeats and mm-hmm. it just loops. Yeah. The well, rest of the time. And it's also because it's because he starts. I believe when I fall to believe <laughs> like it's yeah. just this round and round of belief. <laughs> it's so soulful, yeah. It's, it's bringing you back to the church, my friend. Who's he trying mm-hmm. to? Who's he trying to convince? Does he not believe? Does he not believe yet? <laughs> He's trying he to like... convince his shattered self. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there might be something to that actually. And uh, did you guys hear like in that? cacophony there like he's getting so low and breathy because mm-hmm. even at the end of that it's like believe in again <laughs> like he's like way down like, <laughs> it's crazy well what's funny is even after all that vocal work i mean i think my favorite harmony is uh don't you wanna don't you wanna don't you wanna in mm-hmm. the in the outro fall in love like uh, uh, behind the yeah and uh, that's like three stevies doing that together don't you uh, wanna don't you wanna don't you wanna don't you wanna <laughs> fall in love uh <laughs> there's just so much going on but uh you know i do want to fall in love and and usually when i want to fall in love that means uh, i'm ready to vibe so um jeff i hope you're prepared to bring us into vibe time yep so cue the music, or as our last guest introduced us to the descriptive vibe, uh, <laughs> or, or, the, or the words to bring us into this section of the pod in three, two, one. <laughs> what? There you go. Done and done. Uh, love it. Okay, so Neil. It's your song, buddy. So, what do you? When do you want to? When specifically do you want to hear this? Well, I experienced it this morning. Um, it's a perfect song for the morning, morning sun, uh, cooking breakfast with your lady. Um, it's just, it's a great way to kick off the day with my lady, <laughs> with, with the royal lady. <laughs> okay. Okay, I like it. Uh, Jeff, what about you? When specifically do you want to hear Yeah, so maybe this is top of mind because I'm heading to a wedding this weekend, but this this uh, feels mm-hmm. like a wedding dance song to me right on the nose. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It sure does. I, and it w- could be a first dance song if the beginning wasn't such a drag, honestly. Well, like, well it be- with the right choreography, you could get it done. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe not even a first dance song, but just like... Later in the evening, everybody's had a good party already, ready for one slow down. Hit it, hit it, mm-hmm. hit it oh, with yeah. the I mm-hmm. believe. Mm-hmm. And, and then it gets funky at the end, so you're like, everybody can get their 
white guy funk. Yeah, on. perfect transition. Uh, <laughs> um, I, you know, for me, it's it's more of a dinner song. I think like you have another couple over, lights are dim. There's some wine. It's you a know, good dinner album. Food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put this album on. It ends like you've had. You're like second drink uh, is done and. and that was somebody at the table's like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The funky yeah. breakdown. You open the the another bottle of wine. <laughs> J- JB, what are you guys getting into with other couples that this song comes on? <laughs> this is a great swinging what? song. There, there are no pineapples in front of this house, my friend. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but speaking of um, wine and dinner, I think that uh, it means it's time to slide under the influence. And talk about the influences of the song. I will get us kicked off here. I mean, like, I heard, oddly, like, I heard, like, ELO in here. I heard Boys to Men. I heard George Michael. I heard, like, Richard Marks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, like, you know, something, if you want to find something similar to this at the time, like, Billy Preston is really the only thing I could think of that c- kind of sounds like this, just the way that they play. And like where this come from came from, I have you know other than his freaking imagination, like I have no idea what sounded like this before. Yeah, before this, I, I know that Stevie is on the record of saying that Marvin Gaye is a huge influence of this string of albums. Um, mm. But in terms of things that came from this, I, I mean, I don't I don't know what this is rooted in. This this is just it's so unique. Uh, yeah, I actually think so I actually think him. Boys to Men is a weirdly good call. I think Richard <laughs> Marks is a weirdly good call. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> are y'all are y'all saying I got a little too far under the influence this week? <laughs> um, what you got, Neil? Um, well, I think it uh, it definitely reminds me of a lot of songs. It um, it doesn't it doesn't come from or we couldn't really think of anywhere where it came from because it is it's not really using a playbook here it, it really is just creativity you know what i mean it's not like the chords are super simple but the 10 different melodies that are going on are very not simple it really reminds me of uh lovely day bill withers and just bill withers in general like his whole positive vibe definitely easy like a sunday morning i put this right right after this on my uh my cd for the ladies nice <laughs> And it reminds me of Shuggy Otis a little bit, the way he opens that album with the Strawberry Letter 23. Ah, okay, okay. Uh, I can hear that. Um, but speaking about... Jeff, do you have any more influences? Yeah, not related to influence, but I do want to drop in a little bit of extra color on like just this run of albums from Stevie at some oh, point. Yeah. So yeah, do it now. I mean, it's important to note from my perspective that, I mean, I grew up in a house where my dad turned me on to a lot of good music. And when I knew we were doing this song, of course, I had to reach out to him and get oh, yeah. nice, nice. get get some of his. And my dad has this like encyclopedic knowledge of music that is, I mean, That's honestly, awesome. like you should have had him to talk about this song. <laughs> it would have been much more informative than having Mr. me. Mr. Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Jeff's dad. <laughs> Just call him that. But he, he told me this this story that he drops Talking Book in 72, right? And something with the Grammy cycle, it's like really early in the year and it's really his first standalone piece of art that he's responsible for. And so it doesn't really get the recognition it deserves, although it's critically acclaimed. The yeah. following year, immediately, is Inner Visions, which he wins the Grammy yeah. for. 
mm-hmm. the following year is fulfilling this first finale, which he again wins mm-hmm. the Grammy for, which was after, and again, this is just relayed from my dad telling me the story today. He had a near fatal car crash that put him in a that's coma right. for yeah. a few weeks. And that's why that album's called Fulfilling This First Finale. He wins the Grammy again that year, right? So following year 1975, he doesn't release an album. Paul mm-hmm. Simon wins for Still Crazy After All These Years mm-hmm. and gets on stage and thanks Stevie for not releasing an album that year. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> because that the great following nugget. year in 1976, he wins again for Songs in the Key of Life. So there is just this string of just completely... Dynasty. Yeah, (laughs) genius, truly deeply artistic work that's put out in this really prolific period in a really tight window. And it's really hard to think of other artists that can rival that run in in a four-year stretch. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's... I didn't know about this Stevie until college. I knew about kind of somewhat cheesy '80s Stevie, mm-hmm. you know, growing up, and just you know what he had kind I of just become in the exactly. '90s. Yeah, <laughs> but then you get into this, uh, and I think Jeff, you were a big part of that, just because you had a few of his records, and it was like, oh shit, yeah, this is yeah, this it's is real, good stuff. It's it's real, man. It's the real stuff. Well, speaking of songs in the key of life, I think it's time we uh, slide under the covers. Uh, Jeff, I hope you'll join us under the covers and and discuss the covers of this song. And Jeff, we'll, we'll start with you here. Did you listen to any covers of this song? God, I've been looking forward to this moment. Okay, yeah. I, I listened to all the covers of this all song. Of them. <laughs> There's so many. Did you start three weeks ago? <laughs> and, and honestly... What, what I realized when I was listening to the covers was that there's something in the vocal that was drawing great vocalists to uh-huh. this song. So I was like, before I listened to the covers, I, I actually thought the song was a little bit more pedestrian. And then I heard the covers and I was thinking, well, Art Garfunkel, okay, great vocalist. And then we have, you have, you know, Father John pretty damn good vocalist and then you have josh grobin who's the best of vocalists obviously (laughs) unquestionably (laughs) well but but the thing with him is it's just like yeah it's it's too rigid obviously and it's too technical so you lose all the artistry around the edges of the vocals but anyway Mm -hmm. the the covers are all more or less exactly the song but it, it, the artists themselves, I completely agree with you. I actually wrote that down. I was like, I kind of was like, oh, you know, this is a pretty good song. And then I was like, oh, wait, pretty much anybody can make this their own song. Now, it is pretty much the song, but they sound like them, all yeah. those artists you name. Like, you yeah. know, like George Michael does a live one. Peter Frampton does one. It's kind of cheesy, but like, it still it sounds like Peter Frampton. And you're like, that's eh, pretty good. So it, 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 the song is never bad when they do it. Like, there wasn't a one that I listened to and I was like, ugh. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I listen to all those. I can't believe you guys didn't bring up Mike fucking McDonald. Oh, uh, man. Well, <laughs> I was getting there. <laughs> Jesus. I was getting uh, there. God, he really he really digs in, man. And it's it's really nice. He uh, nails the funky breakdown. He really oh, does. Oh, yeah, of yeah. course, of course. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's always good to hear him sing, and it was good to hear him do this. Uh, but I was uh, I was surprised how many there were. 
I didn't know at any covers prior yeah. to this. And I was surprised no one, none of the co- covers really hit the chorus the way I wanted to. You know what I mean? Because I think it is all the layering of the Stevies yeah. and, and the production. I guess McDonald was close and actually um, the best cover or the kind of the the most true cover where they did really nail it was actually John Legend doing it as a tribute for Stevie. Um, I think it was a few years back. There was a whole Stevie yeah. like... I could, tribute I could, concert. I could see that. But yeah, you know, I, I was listening to the covers and I, I, when I was listening to them, I kind of was like, oh my God, this song, what the fuck? I like, I kind of fell out of love with the song. But then when I went back to Stevie, I was like, oh no, I no, didn't. I'm back, baby. I'm back, baby. <laughs> I, 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 I want to point out too that I thought kind of stood out to me was Macy Gray's cover is pretty good. She, Cause she does some mm-hmm. interesting yeah. things production yeah, wise that sound good. And she sounds great singing it. And then Divine Joy just does like a slow piano ballad version. She sounds fucking great. She doesn't do the funky breakdown. She doesn't repeat the chorus a lot. It's just beginning to like two choruses at the end and, and it fades out. And it sounds really nice. Uh, so yeah. I, would, I would say check that I one out. I heard um, a, a solo piano version by someone named Stephen Reed Williams. But it was cool. Like That was one of the better ones because if it is just a guy and a piano, I'm not expecting anything else. Like, yeah. It's, like, it's just the pure melody, and it was nice. Yeah, yeah, um, Well, on that note, uh, speaking of pure melody, why don't we talk about shoes and how the shoe fits. Neil, it's your song. How does the shoe fit? Yes, um, yes this, the shoes definitely fit, and they are forever. The, the song, I compare <laughs> it to a pair of hiking boots I bought in high school 25 years ago at least, Still in the closet, can't throw them away. They're like these leather Gore-Tex boots that I spent a lot of money as a high school kid on, and uh, I believe I'll have them forever. I was actually going through my closet the other day, like, why are these still here? Like, when am I going to go hike Kilimanjaro? Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, okay, I dig it. Jeff, what about you? How does the shoe fit for uh, I Believe When I Fall in Love It Will Be Forever? To me... There's only one shoe that comes to mind, and it is a freshly polished black leather penny loafer. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. I I also stayed in the loafer lane, and because uh, I I live in the loafer lane, lane sometimes. <laughs> in the second house on the right, he lived loafer down lane. loafer lane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, uh, this is like the like a Gucci loafer that I mm. respect from afar, but it's unattainable. So, like, I admire it. Every now and then I'll pass it by a store window and be like, oh, yeah, that's good. And then continue walking and kind of kind of maybe think about it for a few minutes, sing the chorus for a few minutes. But, like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably not going to put this on moving forward. So that, that, that's basically how it fits for me. Nice. Got in a good dig at the end there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always digging. That's what we do on Loafer Lane. Um, so, so uh, on that less, note, uh, less you didn't know what Josh was thinking about this song. <laughs> oh well, on that note, our cover of Stevie Wonder's "I Believe When I Fall in Love It Will Be Forever." Worthless years here am I encased 
Okay, the cover you just heard was performed by Josh Bond. Thanks for listening to Pod Gave Rock and Roll to you. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and give us a good rating on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen. And if you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram under the handle at Pod Gave Rock. Next week, Josh, it's your week. What are we going to do? We are going to discuss Mama Told Me Not to Come, written by Randy Newman uh, and performed and, and made popular by Three Dog Night. Can't wait!